to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. I'm your hostess, Janine Strong, endeavoring to be a fount of inspiration for today's challenging times. Every two weeks, I have a fun, inspiring conversation with an ordinary person leading an extraordinary life. And today, I'm having a wonderful conversation with Dr. Marcia Wiggins. Marcia Wiggins is a naturopathic doctor and owner of Sante Aesthetics and Wellness in Portland, Oregon. She offers extensive medical experience combined with a personal dedication to educating and empowering patients. Marcia is passionate about helping each patient find the solution that's best for them so they can feel great and live their best life. Her current passion in medicine is connecting with men and women, going through the aging process, and helping them learn to take care of themselves and feel their best. When she's not at Sante helping patients, Dr. Wiggins devotes her time to her family, which includes twin preschoolers, traveling and enjoying time outside. Hello, Marcia. How are you? Hi. Hello, Janine. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad we finally, you are a busy, busy girl, and I think this is our fourth try at doing a recording, and I'm glad we finally connected. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> well, that must mean you're in great demand, so uh, I'm sure this will be an awesome conversation. <laughs> well, thank you. So I'd love to start with, you know, how did you, your journey. How did you come to the conclusion that you wanted to become uh, a doctor and a naturopath at that? I know you have the, your wonderful spa, Sante Aesthetics and Wellness. I've been there. It's a beautiful facility. But I know also that, um, you know, it was a struggle to get that going. So I'd love to hear more about that too. So you may take it away. Oh, well, thank you. I, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, I've had a very, uh, blessed life in medicine for sure. I've had the opportunity to do several really amazing things with my career, uh, things that I wouldn't have necessarily thought would come along as a <laughs> naturopath. Um, so yes, have some fun stories to tell. But um, in regard to how I got started, really, it, I was studying psychology in undergrad and um, got through that and quickly became interested in adding more majors and one of my advisors said, hey, you know, we I, I think you would make a really great doctor. I felt I wanted some more tangible medicine to go along with the psychology. And so I ended up with a biology, psychology, and pre-medical studies degree and uh, then got a minor in sociology and criminology. Wow. I think just, yeah, and I, one more class, I could have had a chemistry minor too. But <laughs> <laughs> I was just kind of a junkie for all things knowledge and and figuring out how things worked, both, you know, the in the physical realm and the mental realm and and then, you know, in societies, complex societies and things. So that's kind of where my, my beginning education was. And I became an EMT early on in that process. Um, one wise person told me, hey, if you're interested in becoming um, a medical doctor, you should work in the emergency medical field because you'll get to see everything. You know, you'll be exposed to neurology, to gastroenterology, to trauma, to all these things. And we'll let you know if it's really what you want to do. And so I became an EMT and worked on an ambulance a couple days a week and then also worked in a level one trauma center for 
about four years, I guess, Mm -hmm. and got some great exposure. It proved to be true. I got to experience all these amazing situations and and really get insight into um, health and healing. And and, uh, with the mental health uh, piece of it, I was also working through college in critical care psych, where I worked in three or four different facilities, but everything from acute crisis intervention and stabilizing people in a facility, uh, all the way to residential type facilities where we were dealing with dual diagnosis situations and and they were partial lockdown but they were able to you know go out and explore and come back so i worked in mental health for about 10 or 12 years leading up to and then about 4 or 5 years in emergency medicine and i have to say you know i was intending on becoming an er doctor at the end of all that and um after working in the field for for several years came to the conclusion you know, uh, thank goodness we have everything we have for trauma. But mm. when it came to medical kind of situations, whether it was, you know, diabetic or, or heart or, you know, it's there's so many things that I saw that if they had had the appropriate intervention four or five years prior mm. and had the right guidance around lifestyle and things like that and 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 listened, of course, mm-hmm. um, that this, you know, emergent situation that these families, this moment of crisis and trauma that these families were finding themselves in because of medical conditions could have been prevented. And I became very passionate about preventative holistic medicine and felt that there was really something missing in primary care in the standard world uh, of medicine Mm -hmm. and set out to try to find a way to practice more holistic preventative medicine. So went from applications to MD schools. I thought, okay, well, DOs, osteopathic Mm -hmm. doctors, Mm -hmm. those are a little bit more holistic. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take that route and was applying to a lot of DO schools, a uh, good handful in the country and interviews were progressing and things were going well. And I was on the West coast checking out a school, uh, in San Francisco, I believe it was. And, um, actually was out to breakfast and read a article about naturopathic medicine. <laughs> and I thought, well, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I was originally from Southern Missouri and got my undergraduate education there. And so I had never heard of a naturopath before and so read the article. And that's really what kind of spurned my interest. And I kind of researched and researched and researched and found that, you know, not in every state in the United States, but in in several states and, and every year now there's more states being added that do have full licensure for naturopathic physicians. But I found that uh, in Oregon and Washington and and other places in the country, as a naturopathic doctor, I would be licensed as a primary care physician, be able to prescribe medications if I found that a situation required it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have a DEA license and, you know, and and do prescribe medications all the time. Uh, But I also, you know, have the ability to order all the labs and, and all the things that you know, to get to a a real diagnosis. And so I thought, well, you know, where's the, where's the catch? This sounds great. Holistic (laughs) preventative medicine. And I can still prescribe medication and order everything that I want if I, if I see fit. So Mm -hmm. I have two uncles who are are doctors and they sort of said, you're going to do what? (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. Yeah. uh, Like what are we year, what year around what year are we talking here? 
Uh, we were around 97, okay. I guess, 1996, okay. 97. I think I moved to Portland to go to school at what was then NCNM, now UNUNM. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved there in 98. So okay. it must, yeah, it was having this this sort of transition happen around 96, 97. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Mm-hmm. On the early side, it was definitely, you know, I think more and more people now know about and are leaning toward functional medicine and, and holistic preventative type medicine. But, uh, at that time I was, I was feel, I was a, a bit on the front end of the, of a wave mm-hmm. for a Midwesterner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I bring with me, you know, to the field though, my background in those areas. And I think it adds a unique perspective for me as a naturopath to bring a history of mental health and, and uh, emergency medicine to the table, you know, along Absol- with what I understand. Yeah, absolutely. I think that really rounds out. I mean, you're, you have such a, a, a vast body of experience and being able to bring that to the table with what you do is, is pretty awesome for the people that you're working with. Uh, yes, I, I hope so. And I, you know, as the years have progressed, I've really cultivated my practice and, taking it in a direction that I had intended on going for a while. Uh, it's interesting to start out in emergency medicine and critical care psych and end up in the medical aesthetics world. How did you become interested in aesthetic medicine? Going from your background to aesthetic medicine is quite a leap. Yes, yes, uh, indeed it is. It, it was quite a, quite a swing. You know, as I mentioned, I feel very, very grateful to have had all of the amazing experiences I've had in medicine. And it did start, well, actually first as a dental, dental assistant, I should say it was my first job in medicine and then moved on to psychology and the emergency medicine. And, you know, in those, you know, I kind of mentioned how I got to being interested in holistic preventative medicine, Mm -hmm. but also um, working in those fields, there's a lot of burnout that happens. And I saw a lot of my, uh, the doctors that I looked up to and admired, who had been in the field for 10, 15, 20 years, being really burnt out. And, you know, as humans, uh, thank goodness that we have, you know, folks among us that can handle those more intense situations on an ongoing basis. And I actually have a passion for that and really found it gratifying to be able to be there for people in those emergency type situations. But being, it was my hometown, I had a lot of folks that I knew coming through uh, the ER and, um, there were a few occasions where there were, you know, close friends or family members, and uh, it was a circumstance that ended up kind of hitting home for me, working on them and then realizing who it was and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there was a piece of me that looked at that and said, you know, I don't know that I want to to do this the entire rest of my life. A 10 or 15 year minimum on those environments sometimes are the best things for the mental health of some of the folks that work in those fields. So, so that was a piece of my consideration, but then also that I just got very passionate about preventative holistic medicine. And I always had studied in college. I studied, uh, you know, in my science degrees, I studied various antioxidant and oxygen-free radical nutrition type things and was, you know, always interested in it. 
from the beginning. So, so when I found naturopathic medicine, I got very excited about the opportunity. And as I said, bailed on all my other applications and moved to the West Coast and, and moved to Portland, Oregon. I looked at all the naturopathic schools and basically, uh, you know, there are four or five accredited naturopathic medical schools uh, in the United States and of course in Canada. And looked at those and, and resonated with uh, the one in Portland the best. And so moved out here in 98 in order to uh, go to school. I found that we could add an additional degree in licensure in basically naturopathic midwifery and obstetrics. So I was able to study childbirth for the home and clinic. And so got intent on that program as well as the naturopathic program. In the end, I did not end up sitting for the licensure to deliver babies. Uh, for me, my lifestyle, it was too much being on call, but had, um, you know, was a part of over 100 births and really felt uh, very blessed to be a part of that. And that is actually kind of what got me going in the direction of hormone management with uh, women at the time. And so when I did start my clinical practice, you know, I kind of started with a focus on women's health and, and hormone regulation, hmm. uh, both for PMS and menopause and, and, but also for, um, thyroid, adrenal, um, any endocrine type system. Mm-hmm. So I kind of transitioned, you know, that my clinical practice was happening and there are two or three years in between finishing my residency and then doing, uh, my clinical practice, basically once I did start my practice, did a lot of work with women's health, started seeing some men for hormone management and, and general health, primary care at the time. Mm-hmm. But I started seeing a lot of skin issues too, various rashes and, and things like that. And really just taking a inside out approach to treating the skin instead of just putting a topical on and just treating naturopathically was having great success with various dermatological type issues. Um, you know, some things that people hadn't gotten relief with from their standard dermatologist and were frustrated because it took months to get in with the dermatologist and it was expensive when they did, or it wasn't covered or they didn't help them once they did get in with them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, lo and behold, a year or two into it, I had kind of a holistic dermatology subspecialty going on as well as the hormone management. And nice. yeah, it it just really organically grew. It sounds like it. You were in the flow with, with the types of patients that were coming to you. Yes, I, I really was going with what they were looking for and asking for. And also, you know, I do believe in divine intervention and, mm-hmm. and that, uh, that you know, the higher power was probably just kind of cultivating my practice for me, bringing those patients to me that I was supposed to uh, start focusing on. And I basically got my first IPL machine, not because I was interested necessarily in doing full medical aesthetics, but because I was treating so much acne and psoriasis in my private practice. And there's just an amazing particular setting for IPL. Now that's intense pulse laser, right? Is that what that stands for? Yes, right. It's intense pulse light. Light, right. Okay. It is, you know, what we think of as kind of like full spectrum light. That is like the colors of the rainbow filtered down to the uh, wavelength that, you know, has a target in the tissue. Mm -hmm. And you get multiple benefits because inevitably there are a few different wavelengths of light that, that go to work on the tissue. But depending on the type of 
IPL unit you have, you can get very, very specific. Mm -hmm. And so I got an IPL unit that treated acne, uh, FDA approval for uh, moderate to, to, to severe acne. So in conjunction with the naturopathic treatment protocols I was creating, I was also able to clear up these acne cases within four to eight weeks. Nice. Um, you, using IPL two times a week for four weeks. But again, it's a special setting. It's not just any IPL. Mm -hmm. um, and I was also treating some uh, psoriasis with it. And But the unit also did hyperpigmentation from sun damage and also hair reduction, permanent hair reduction. So I thought, well, heck, I might as well offer those mm -hmm. as well. And so was offering permanent hair reduction, sun damage removal, acne, treatments. And of course, rosacea, um, being vascularly oriented, we were able to treat one of the best things to treat rosacea with outside of taking care of those triggers and flushing is to use intense pulse light to break down those vascular beds that have broken, uh, that have kind of built up over the years underneath the surface of the skin. You can break that vascular bed down and, and dramatically reduce rosacea symptoms for people. So found that I was just using that technology a lot. And, and then also offering the hair reduction and hyperpigmentation. And, and so kind of after that cultivated for a couple of years, uh, I was also working with medical weight loss and uh, trying out different things in my practice to um, help people lose weight and, you know, in the hormone assessment, figure out, you know, well, what's off here that is causing their issues with having difficulty with weight management. And, and so that became a piece of it. And so I had a lot of medical aesthetics going between hormones and the laser and the skincare mm -hmm. and then the medical weight loss. And so those patients literally said to me, Dr. Wiggins, would you just start doing our Botox too? Um, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Let me think about that as a naturopath. How do I feel about that? And I, so I researched it and it's not for everybody for sure, but I think you know, it's gotten a little bit of a bad rap when people say Botox. They think of LA and Real Housewives and all the people who have really overdone looks and mm -hmm. um, a lot of filler in their lips or, you know, just over frozen faces, whatever, all those things. And the truth is you really can use these things in a very natural looking way to help kind of stave off the hands of time for a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. If it's done the right way, nobody should tell you've gotten anything done at all. You should right. just look the best you at the age that you are. Even my mother's generation, the option was facelifts and plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. And it has just, this field has grown so incredibly much in the last couple decades. Um, we just have so many great options now. Not only can we help with uh, fine lines and wrinkles on the face and pigmentation and all that, we, you know, we now have things for the submentum and neck and decollete that are really amazing. And it's a quickly growing field. And so when I, when I dipped my toe in with Botox 10 years ago now, it really opened up a world to me that um, I actually find really enjoyable and fun. And for me, Botox is a naturopath. I was like, you know, actually Botox is a naturally occurring substance that um, we figured out a therapeutic application for. Mm -hmm. And it is therapeutic for millions of people on the planet. They're using Botox medically for various spasm issues throughout the body. Um, neurologists across the world are using it with great results uh, for people. 
so to use it in the tiny little muscles of the face to, you know, help smooth fine lines, I mean, we're using fractions of a drop, tiny amounts. It doesn't go into your bloodstream. You know, for me, I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? We took mold and made penicillin off of bread and it was beneficial. This is kind of the same thing in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how I ended up feeling okay with doing Botox as a naturopath. And then that quickly led to fillers, of course. And those are also biologics. Down um, the rabbit hole you went. <laughs> Down the rabbit hole I went, yeah. And as it turns out, what I really love, the medical aesthetics for me is really helping people look in the mirror and go, hey, you know what? I'm, I mean, so we're, we're aging. We're, we're spending so much more time on this planet than we have ever in the history of mankind. And, you know, hopefully with science, we'll continue to live longer and longer, maximizing that potential. 35 is the new 45 and 45 is the new 55. And mm-hmm. we are wanting to look in the mirror and see, looking back at us, how good we feel on the inside as well. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's about helping people optimize how it's not the most important thing, how you look, obviously. The most important thing is that you're healthy and well-balanced, both physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, most importantly. But these little things that we have, these little tools can really add to that overall sense of well-being. Absolutely. And I will say for myself, I have no problem telling people I have Phil in my face and it's made a huge difference. Yeah. And like you said, if you, if you have the right practitioner that you're working with somebody, you have a trusted relationship with that there's so many great injectors out there. The industry is, can be a little scary in that, um, it is very sales driven Mm -hmm. and people try to sell you bundles of this and packages of that. And sales teams normally are the ones that greet you to give you the consultation at a med spa. But for us at my current business, Sante, we, uh, you know, it's very education based, like that all the doctors do the consultations. And so our, our interest really is in educating you about what is the sort of latest and greatest thing in the field and helping you walk down a path of choosing what's right for you. Mm-hmm. And for some people, Botox and filler just isn't the direction they want to go. So we offer facial rejuvenation, acupuncture and, and different things like, you know, great skincare and lasers that can help them with their goals if they're not interested in the injectables. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's becoming more and more commonplace now. I mean, people, uh, you know, I think even my age and I'm in my 40s, you know, it was kind of the stigma. Like, ooh, I don't want to tell anybody that I'm doing it. But I can tell you that the ladies in their 20s and 30s do not really feel that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're kind of like, you know, this is you, you color your hair, you whiten your teeth, you know, maybe get your eyelashes done and you get your Botox. It's just what people do as part of their beauty regimens anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Both men and women, both men and women. So that the 20 year olds that are coming up into the, this world, it's not a foreign concept for them to, to want to do medical aesthetics at all. Are you telling me pe- people in their 20s need Botox? Well, not everybody. And I absolutely am someone who will, number one, and I believe this is my responsibility as an injector and doctor, tell you when you've had enough, say, you know what, you're good. We don't need to you know, do any more right now. Let's, let's check back in six months or a year. Um, so I do tell people, no, I do. Uh, if people come in wanting a more extreme look or what do I say? Robust lip, uh, (laughs) (laughs) those Instagram lips, you know, um, 
it's just not for everybody. You know, there, you need to choose things that are the right size for your face. And, and that's part of my job is to, to, to tell you what looks good and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. But yes, there are girls in their twenties. Most do not, most do not. But, um, some girls just genetically have very strong, you know, those little furrow lines in between their eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've had an expressive brow even since they were a child. Mm-hmm. And by the time they get into their mid late twenties, you're starting to see a little line there. And really it's just about kind of, uh, making the muscle a little bit weaker. So it doesn't pull that wrinkle into being, um, all the time. And so they need small doses and little bits. And there certainly have been young ladies that I'm like, you know what, you really don't need anything yet. You know, check back in five years. Um, but sometimes there are cases where I'm like, yeah, all right. I'm sure we can do a little bit of Botox there. It'll stop that fine line from getting deeper and really becoming a permanent thing. Mm-hmm. So, so there are instances when it's appropriate. Yes. Got it. Okay. All right. Um, so, okay. So we've talked quite a bit about the outside, um, how you help people. Now, how about let's, let's get into the inside and helping people to, I mean, from my perspective in, in the aging process, as long as I feel good, obviously I want to look good, but I also want to feel good. And for me, when I hear somebody say, oh, I want to live to be 180 or something, I'm like, God, no, not unless I feel good. (laughs) I mean, that's to me, that's what it's all about. um, Having mentally and physically be doing well. How do you work with people to help them to feel their best on the inside? Absolutely. Um, As I mentioned before, I mean, that is the most important thing that we're healthy I'm so grateful for this journey as a naturopath. You know, I've really learned, I feel uh, so grateful to be able to help people on the level that I do. And so as I you know, mentioned, I started out in general primary care, but, you know, kind of have now cultivated to a focus on hormone management, medical weight loss, and holistic dermatology. So I would say about, you know, 30, 40% of my practice is seeing medical patients, billing insurance, working with them on those other areas. And then maybe 60% of my practice is medical aesthetics. So I do fill my days with doing Botox and fillers and everything, as we mentioned, but also every day and working with patients to help optimize, I say, from the inside out. There's so much that you can do and there isn't any one answer for everybody because everyone is their own unique compilation of chemistry and, and physiology. And so really, uh, when I see a patient, you know, we do a very broad intake. We think about, uh, different testing based on the symptoms that they're having. And the goal is to, you know, I do a lot of bioidentical hormone replacement therapy for people. And, you know, as far as the medical weight loss piece goes, it's appealing for people. They come in, Uh, oh, yes, I want to lose 20, 30 pounds, maybe even more. But what that journey ends up becoming, because if they're in their 40s having a hard time keeping weight off, something has happened in their body that's shifted. Mm -hmm. And so part of what I do is methodically go through and check in on their endocrine system to make sure that they're balanced. Again, the thyroid, the adrenal, blood sugar levels, female male hormones, certainly 
I say your hypothalamus and pituitary is sort of like the conductor of a symphony overseeing all of the different endocrine functions and the different systems. And those systems are like each little section of a symphony. And if one of those sections of the symphony is playing out of tune or offbeat, it can totally throw off another section. And eventually the conductor may get thrown too, because the symphony is playing out of tune or, or key or timing. Mm -hmm. And, and so, uh, they really talk, you know, these systems talk to each other and frequently it's ongoing stress, uh, job changes, marriage, marriage moves, whatever it may be, deaths in the family. Uh, uh, we're all stressed particularly in the United States, I think. Uh, but everywhere these days, you know, people deal with stress management. So that's a big one. But over time, those cortisol levels and those adrenals really can throw people out of whack, which then can throw the thyroid out of whack. And so it's really important to do a comprehensive analysis of what's going on with that person um, before we even get to the point of of trying to do, you know, the fat burning or the medical, you know, weight loss piece where we're actually doing fat reduction. Uh, what I get to do is is lead them on a path to health and wellness, and the weight loss becomes a piece of that. Um, mm, of course, rather than having... the focus, <laughs> exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And and so you know, it's maybe uh, I say sometimes it's a sneaky way to introduce holistic naturopathic or functional medicine to people. Is <laughs> okay, you want to lose weight, you want to get into those those little skinny jeans, then let's look at your health. Mm-hmm. And so we we don't let people just walk in and and get going on the weight loss program uh, before they've had an analysis and, and we really are, you know, doing the best thing for their body. And the goal is that it not only is it then easier to lose, but also easier to keep off once you have regulated things for the long haul. Right. Because my experience with friends and, and talking to people who are overweight, they go on diets, they lose weight. And then when they, then when they get off of the diet, they gradually gain not only the weight back, but more. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's so many misnomers out there about weight management and starvation diets and not eating and not eating the right foods, you know, really make your metabolism worse over time. And, um, you know, there is a portion of our medical weight loss program where we do do a lower calorie diet that it's supported with HCG and, and a few other things. So, but we don't do that piece of it until they're ready and only recommend the lower calories while they're on the HCG physically taking that in. And of course you should be eating a healthy amount of calories, you know, normally, uh, day in, day out. But I think that's, you know, a lot of women feel like they have to starve themselves and, and, and it actually just kind of perpetuates the problem and makes it worse. Well, my understanding is if you starve yourself, body thinks you're starving and, and it puts on the fat because your body thinks you need to, um, you need to have extra fat to live on. That's right. That's right. You begin, it, it's sort of our little, uh, you know, ancient brain in there says, oh, hey, uh, we're starving. We don't know when we're going to eat again. We've got to sock this stuff away and hang on to it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And then the fat, people think you shouldn't be eating fat. Your body needs fat. I mean, from my perspective, you should cut out the sugar way before you 
you know, you start cutting out any good fat. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely not. No, you should. Yeah. The healthy fats are absolutely imperative to our cellular function, you know, membranes of our cells and and our nervous system. And there's, and so many benefits from uh, the healthy fats, the omegas and, and there's just so many functions for them, anti-inflammation, so many things. So absolutely not that healthy fats are while calorie dense, they also are just nutritionally so important for us. So definitely not cut out fat. Now, fried foods, trans fats, those things, of course, yes, they're not healthy for our systems, but but absolutely, that's one of our tenants. And one of the things that we try to do with our medical weight loss program actually is, though the, the goal, of course, is losing the weight, we use it, we treat it as a detox cleanse. We support those phase one, phase two liver detoxification pathways to ensure that as they're going through lipolysis and releasing things that they're able to clear them and bind them up and get rid of them as they need to. Mm -hmm. And make sure that they're kind of, you know, having a positive perspective around all of it. it what we're, our goal is to get them in a, a mentally healthy state of mind around food and nutrition and their bodies so that they're making, you know, solid choices after maybe they have done the accelerated weight loss portion, they've reached a goal weight. And then now what, you know, what, okay, now how do I eat? Now what I, well, the goal is that through that three, six, nine week period of the intensive weight loss, you're not eating sugar, you're not eating carbohydrates, and you're you're recalibrating your taste to not think about foods that are are high in sugar and refined flours as something that you even want to eat on a daily basis. By the time you're on the tail end of the program, mm-hmm. the hope is that you've gained this great appreciation for how wonderful your body feels by eating, you know, fruits and vegetables and uh, healthy organic lean meats and and you know and I, and I do subscribe. I don't think one diet for the long term is right for everybody. I think that's where having a practitioner who has some specialty in this area can really help you personally find a long term way to manage your weight through these various, uh, you know, tools and find the diet that's right for you. But no, in general, and uh, it's certainly in the United States, sugar and refined flours. I mean. Sugar, salt, and fat. They have just the food industry is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but the food the food industry is mm-hmm. just, you know, mm-hmm. contributing to so many medical conditions in the United States and the way they push uh sugar, salt, and fat. Right. So what's your perspective? So let's say there's somebody listening who says, Oh, I just can't give up sugar. You know, what what is your your perspective on how? Well, a lot of times what I have found, two of the things that are are very common for my folks that are just addicted to sugar, things that you wouldn't necessarily think of uh, immediately. Uh, one can be a dysbiosis mm-hmm. in the body, an imbalance in your flora, as well as candida or yeast. And those little overpopulations of those substances those little critters can actually like crave sugar because you think about, you know, what happens if you're going to make a bread, you have your sugar, your flour and your water, and then you put the yeast in and they just Mm -hmm. have a party and explode. Right. And that is basically what happens inside Mm -hmm. your body too. If you have a a candida overgrowth uh, throughout your gastrointestinal tract, 
you we will crave sugar because they want the substrate that feeds them. And also people have a really hard time coming off of sugar because they have these little organisms in there just wanting it so badly. And so, and you know, I mean, it, microbiology and the microbiome is such a huge topic as well. We are controlled by our microbiome way more than we realize. Um, and so if it gets out of whack and there's too much candida, that can contribute to sugar cravings. The other thing that I find contributes to sugar cravings is compromised adrenal health. So if you have been, you know, that kind of tired, but wired and you're, you're, you've been stressed out for a long, long time, sleep disturbance is happening. Uh, your cortisol levels have been, you know, you pr your adrenal produces cortisol in order to deal with all that stress. And over time, it just can't keep up anymore and starts to become depleted. And, and then people start craving sugar and caffeine to drive themselves. And so uh, that's another thing that I would look at uh, if you're having some sugar cravings. When our bodies take in carbohydrates and sugars, we do stimulate uh, serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter that makes us feel good. And so sometimes when people aren't feeling well, you know, the whole comfort food thing, uh, when, when people aren't feeling well, they sit down mm -hmm. to a pan of brownies <laughs> or a bowl of mac and cheese or, you know because it literally makes us feel better, the mm -hmm. serotonin. But in the long run, it's not what's best for our body. Right. So if somebody is finding that they, they really are, are eating a lot of sweets um, throughout the day, they're having a hard time cutting back, maybe a good place to start is to ask for test for candida and uh, cortisol levels for the adrenals. Uh, yes, I would recommend that to, to work with a naturopath or a functional medicine doctor to kind of get to the root of, of why you have those intensive sugar cravings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and I, you know, I mean, there can be other things too, but those are the two things I see the most frequently. Mm -hmm. And what about in the aging process? What are you finding? Uh, I, I think it kind of goes in waves for people of, of the types of issues that people are coming in with. But let's say somebody who's in their 50s, maybe 60s, they're just, they're tired. They're, they're just not, they feel like they should have more energy, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I, I love it when people say, oh, you're getting older, you're not supposed to have a lot of energy. I'm like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I know when I've, I've got the, the days when I've got the kind of energy I should, I really feel like I should have, obviously I'm not going to feel like I did when I was 30, but I know that, you know, I shouldn't be dragging around and feeling like crap. You know, once you, somebody comes in and you do some tests, what are you kind of finding? Are there any, any, uh, issues that kind of keep coming up all the time that, that seem to be kind of a common thread? Absolutely. I mean, without question, hormones are a huge contributor, you know, uh, whether it's male, female hormones, that's always part of my, you know, initial intake with somebody. And then um, we go to do the workup, and we decide, I mean, I frequently uh, will do a, a very extensive panel of blood work, um, mm -hmm. checking in on, you know, for if someone's coming in with fatigue, and or just generally not feeling like they have enough energy. Um, we'll check in on all their nutritional levels, vitamin D, the Bs. Um, are they processing their nutrients correctly? I think those are all important things to really check in on. You got to check in on anemias, B12 and folic acid, as well as iron-based deficiency anemia. You need thorough screens for those. 
um, mm-hmm. vitamin that D levels. That would be checking methylation, right? Well, well, for B12 and folic acid, yes, right. we, there's a test MT, for MTHFR. Basically, MTHFR is a, a methylation issue uh, you have genetically. If you have both of the SNPs, the genetic SNPs, and that prevent you from being able to process B vitamins the way you should, it can really manifest in a lot of, you know, even mental health issues and, and things of that nature. So there are particular pictures where testing MTHFR for sure. I don't do it necessarily with everybody initially, but whenever uh, it becomes apparent that that's, you know, part of something I want to rule out, you know, do it quite frequently and find people have one or two of the genetic SNPs that contribute to that. So that's another thing to think about. Of course, it's familial too. So if you have it, your children and your siblings and all that could have it. So it's, it's important for families to know if they do have it in their family. So that's the MTHFR uh, as related to anemias. So thinking through kind of all of those metabolic markers, but then taking it a step further. And of course, cholesterol and blood pressure and um, you know, people who are, do not have controlled blood pressure are fatigued. And I cannot emphasize how important it is to stay on top of and keep your cholesterol and your blood pressures in the right range, your blood sugars in the right range that's recommended it really does extend your life. So really getting those annual checkups and and full sets of lab work and be the squeaky wheel. You know, if the doctor has not offered you these labs for review, then ask them for them. Those are, you know, the the foundational metabolic issues that you need to look at. Um, But we will take it a step further and analyze not only intricate we have a few different means of doing it, but hormones, uh, both male and female, again, adrenal, adrenals, thyroid, all those things need to be addressed. Now, thyroid you can do on standard lab work, but there are other labs that in order to test for, you know, adrenal hormones, you do a 24-hour urine collection. Um, we can test the metabolites of general hormones through a urine metabolite collection as well. But we also have in the last five years, we've started looking at neurotransmitter, neurotransmitters as it relates to hormones. And there's an intricate uh, relationship. And, you know, like uh, estrogen is kind of talks with serotonin and it's a, it's a more in-depth conversation to have, but we are also analyzing neurotransmitters now at the same time as female male hormones and adrenal hormones, uh, all together to create a very comprehensive picture of how we can support people. Interesting. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So when you're checking uh, neurotransmitters, is that blood work, saliva, urine? It is urine collection. It is mm-hmm. metabolites through the urine. Oh, okay. And something that people don't fully recognize, um, we have an enteric nervous system um, as well as a central nervous system. So our central nervous system, of course, is our brain and our um, nerves as they run through our body. And within that is the serotonin and gabapentin. GABA and, and, and norepinephrine and epinephrine and all these uh, neurotransmitters, of course, in our central nervous system and our brain that are the signals. Um, but in our guts, um, throughout our intestines, we have a huge amount of, of little patches of tissue that also create those very same neurotransmitters, serotonin, norepinephrine, epinephrine, all these things. Um are created in your gut as well. So when people say, I can feel it in my gut, they really can. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
it's really true. It's really true. And so, you know, it's, um, it's not as if we're extracting cerebral spinal fluid and doing an analysis of their neurotransmitters that way. We are using um, urine metabolites um, to give us a picture of where their neurotransmitters are, uh, the levels mm -hmm. are. And I can just tell you that over the last five years, uh, it's been hugely impactful. And we've seen really amazing results with people who maybe have tried hormones or bioidentical hormones, and they just don't quite get there. They're sort of like, you know, 80% there, they're feeling better with the bioidentical hormones, but not quite there. And then we do the neurotransmitter test and find some missing links as, as to why and start to support those things. And you give amino acids and a variety of things to support the system to, to make the correct levels of these things. And um, it's kind of like uh, the neurotransmitters are sort of like the, the fuse box and the hormones are kind of like, uh, you know, the lights in a room and you can turn the lights on and off in a room as much as you want. But if the fuse box is down, it's not going to respond. So you got to take care of the fuse box, uh, make sure it's balanced and functioning correctly. Mm -hmm. That's, so. I like that metaphor. That's yeah, I can, I can picture that one easily. Interesting. So neurotrans not, so not just the hormones but how the interaction of the neurotransmitters so are the neurotransmitters um are they controlling the hormones or is it the other way around um or i it's more like a feedback loop um okay it's they they sort of are impacted by each other so whenever somebody has a child or they go through menopause or maybe they've been struggling with endometriosis or fibroids there has been some sort of estrogen dominance in their body for one reason or another, or, you know, a shift mm -hmm. that's happened, it can impact your neurotransmitters. And one of the reasons why, as we go through PMS, as we go through menopause, sometimes we can just feel so unlike ourselves. We'll just more emotional lability, irritability, a variety of things. You know, yes, it's the hormones, but it's also tied to those neurotransmitters too. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense because I've, I've known some women, I feel so bad for them. It's like Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. When, and, and they just become totally another person and it's, they have no control over it. It, it must be awful. I'm, well, I'm so glad I, that was never an issue for me, but, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that it, it really, really affects their lives and, and who they are and, and, you know, their families and, Yes. One of the reasons why I'm doing what I'm doing today, particularly in the U.S., I mean, as standard medicine goes, and, and I'm not a naysayer of standard medicine. I, I really think that integrative medicine is, is the way to go. I mean, mm -hmm. we need all of the technologies and medications, and I mean, I'm so happy we have them all, but it's not the only answer, you know? And so I think the blend of both worlds is really, it's, it should be what's optimal for the patient. And yes, you need the science and the double blind studies and the efficacy uh, so that you're not hurting people, uh, even with natural things. But, you know, there's different ways to look at this. So for a lot of my patients who come to me, even with acne, because a lot of it looking at hormonal triggers for that, but certainly PMS and various issues, polycystic ovarian syndrome, things of that nature, the answer is to use birth control pills of some sort to mm. either that or a hysterectomy, right? To mm -hmm to control hormones. And of course we, you know, many of us have heard about the vast nurses study that was done and they had to stop it because the nurses were on hormones 
and they were on though, mind you, Primrin, which was a horse-based urine and at very high doses, you know, like 20 milligrams of estrogen per dose. And, and these, you know, women were getting blood clots. They were getting cancers. They were, it was terrible. And so they stopped the study and then said, okay, bioidentical, you know, or, or I'm sorry, not bioidentical, but hormone replacement therapy is bad. That, that mm-hmm. was kind of the take home. And that's where standard medicine has kind of left it for the most part. But to use a plant-based hormone that is molecularly the same as your body's hormone will sit down in those little receptors and kind of do its job, but also will work with our chemistry. It can get broken down and excreted. It's not stuck in the body because it's a strange molecular structure that our bodies don't recognize. It can be life-changing for people. And I've been doing this for 10 years now, and I can't even tell you the number of women who have said to me, I just feel like I got myself back by being able to use. And we're, you know, we're not trying to give huge doses. We're not trying to make them 20 again. Um, Of course, we don't want to bring back their cycles and that kind of thing. But to at least give them low normal of the ratios of estrogens, there's three estrogens, progesterone, testosterone, making sure that everybody has this sort of you know, look at their individual picture and then give them the amounts that they need to create those normal ratios that their body had when they were young and vital. And when we can bring those normal ratios back in their system, um, they begin to feel normal again. In, you know, instead of uh, super irritable or, or no energy or mental fog or, you know, yes, I have seen marriages fall apart. I have seen children think their parents are just losing their mind because they've, they're, you know, and really all they mm. need is a hormone support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then once you go on hormone support, do you, you pretty much have to take it for the rest of your life, don't you? Or can you? I mean, I think that, you know. I start looking at once we reach our 70s, it's sort of like you start doing again a customized individual sort of analysis of how beneficial is it. Uh, There are a lot of women who are very active in their 50s and 60s, you know, uh, both sexually, uh, you know, you want your life to be optimized, uh, both Mm -hmm. through energy, mental, emotional, sexually. We still should be having, you know, very fulfilling, wonderful sex lives Mm -hmm. at those ages. And a lot of people, after they go through menopause, of course, get vaginal dryness and tenderness in the tissue. And Mm -hmm. topical hormones can be absolutely incredible for that. And there's so many things we can do now to really optimize function that way. Um, So, you know, you hit your 70s and you start then saying, okay, how much of this do we really need? And are we going to, you know, kind of look at weaning off of some of these things? It's very individualized. I wouldn't say that there's an age that I would cut it off for everybody. It, mm-hmm. It's it's unique to the person. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great. Wow. I think you've, you've given uh, the listeners a lot of information to consider with how well they're aging. Do they need some help? You know, are you really not feeling what you consider to be your best? And, um, and you've given some really, really good ideas of things that people can do. Yes, I think, you know, another area um, is, 
genetics, of course, uh, and mm-hmm. looking at mm-hmm. telomere science. Those are a couple other things I yeah. want to just mention. Okay. Uh, just, just to, you know, to consider there are, there's testing you can do for telomeres now, uh, part of your chromosomes that kind of deteriorate at the tips and kind of determine our aging progress. And so I would, I, I would suggest those are, you know, consider genetic analysis and telomere analysis. Those are also important, but you know, it's all about, um, we, we now have more and more information about how we age and why not use that information and the science and technology we have to live our best lives so that we can be there for our families and loved ones, uh, for as many years as we can and feel mm-hmm. good doing it. You know, there's being here and then there's quality of life. And so Absolutely. we're, yeah, where my passion is and through Sante Aesthetics and Wellness, uh, we have five doctors, acupuncture, massage therapy, aesthetics, hydrotherapy, spa. You know, we really try to cover all the bases for, for self-care and, and optimizing. It's about helping you lead your best life and, and your most optimized life for as long as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not necessarily about being skinny and looking beautiful or, or, you know, I mean, those are nice side effects when you're healthy, those things come. And then we have little tools that we can use to, uh, spruce you up on the, wax the car, if you will, a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> you know, spruce it up a little on the outside. We've got our little tools that we can do, but, uh, but you know, it, it's, um, it's, a, it's an, it's the whole package. Right. Right. And I, I think that's really important because if you, if you only focus on the outside, you're, you're, you're still not feeding your body, whether it's food or nutrients or whatever hormones, what it needs to, to be vital on the outside and to, to project that. I mean, you know, sometimes I'll look at people and I'll say, oh my God, that poor person. You can just see the, there's no quality of life force there. You can see it in their face. You can see it in in the way they carry themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so, so important. And I, I think another really important, we touched on it, but like, uh, you know, science more and more is showing evidence that practices of meditation and mindfulness and things along those lines are, are profound. They cause cellular changes in our bodies that are unequivocally uh, positive. And so I really encourage people to invest in figuring out how to manage their stress. Um, use meditation, use practices, mindfulness practices on a daily basis to stay grounded and practices in gratitude. Really, even if you're having the worst day ever, think about the things in your life you're grateful for that are positive and focus on those. Mm -hmm. And, and I just, these daily, daily practices can really have a big impact on our overall sense of well-being as well. Absolutely. And I think unless you have something more to add, that's an awesome place to uh, finish our conversation. I I think we've covered a lot and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Marcia. It's been really, really wonderful. You are a fount of information and um, I look forward to uh, seeing you again in person so you can help me get back a little bit more back on track. <laughs> well, I would be more than happy to do that. thank you uh take care and uh how are your twin preschoolers by the way before we hang up they are fantastic they are thriving i have a little i won the kid lottery i got a healthy little boy and girl and um they're just amazing and beautiful and i'm 
I am deeply blessed. Uh, that's awesome. Do twins run in, in either family? Uh, yes, my mother's side, actually. Ah, uh-huh. okay. But I was also 40 when I got pregnant. So, wow. uh, but it was all natural conception and the, you know, I, my body just selected it. And so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether it was because I was releasing some additional eggs or whether it was, uh, you know, from being 40 or my genetic background. Um, had never had never been pregnant before, and just uh, we kind of stopped preventing, and within a very short period of time, I had twins, and so wow, and it has just been a wonderful journey. Oh, good, good for you. <laughs> That's awesome. I just wanted to check in there on that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, well, this has been wonderful. I'm so glad we finally connected, and uh, yeah, thank you. All right, Janine. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay. Bye, Marcia. Thank you for listening. And thank you so much, Dr. Marcia Wiggins, for taking time to share your extensive knowledge with us. The podcast website is realjanine.com, where you can listen to and download episodes. Sign up for the podcast bi-weekly blog newsletter to keep up on new episodes, archives, life updates, and always a healthy recipe. And remember, once again, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. To subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. I have a Keeping It Real with Janine YouTube channel and am creating video slideshows of all my conversations. So please go to YouTube and if you would, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. All you have to do is type in Real Janine and the YouTube channel will come up. Do you know someone who would benefit from my conversation with Dr. Wiggins? I'll bet you do. I know you do. Please share the love. Thanks for listening. Take care and be well.